I think it was last Wednesday I mentioned a book, and I didn't have the name of the book or the author. And when uh, Kenneth Hagin, the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003, got healed, raised up off his deathbed by focusing his faith on Mark 11, 22 to 24, uh, he attended or he went to, his, his grandmother was a Methodist, but he ended up somehow in a Baptist church. And uh, he didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. And then he began preaching, and he began preaching in Baptist churches, and the first church he pastored was a Baptist church. And I always thought the story was fascinating because somewhere along the line, he came across this book, and I'm grateful that it's still in print. It's called The Life of Faith by Cornelia Newsom, N-U-Z-U-M. It's a wonderful little book, and I don't know about you, but... <laughs> I can't get enough information. You know, there's the world in 2023 is full of information and about 98% of it's useless. <laughs> Actually, maybe 98% of it's a lie, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I cannot get my hands on enough useful information. And so that book has been a blessing. I pull it out every once in a while. In fact, I leave it on my desk and pull it out every once in a while, just go back through it. The Life of Faith by Cornelia Newsom. Because we're in this series on faith and prayer. How many of y'all want to get your prayers answered? I got my hand up. How many of you want to get your prayers answered? So we've been dealing with hindrances to prayer in the recent weeks. And we left off last Wednesday night talking about not walking in love. And I asked the question, how is Psalm 105.37 possible? Psalm 105.37, he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. I mean, how is that even possible? We don't know exactly how many people came out of Egypt, but we do know how many fighting men there were because Moses did a census. And so just extrapolating off the census, there had to be two to three million people that came out of Egypt and headed into the desert. And yet, David said there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, of course, the objection would be, uh, well, how did they all die off? Everybody over the, everybody an adult and above died off before they entered the promised land because of their rebellion, sin, unbelief, and disobedience. Well, you don't have to die from something. See, and that's, that's kind of one of these uh, lies out here, that you got to die of something. You know, I've already got this settled with the Lord myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, uh, I'm just going to pick me a day, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to go home and eat Sue's cooking, and then I'm just going to lay down, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what Jacob did. I'm going to pull my feet up into bed and I'm going to cross over. But I got a lot of work to do before that happens. Amen. Amen. But I, tell your neighbor, you don't have to die from something. Amen. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'd rather, I'd rather die in my own bed than, you know, uh, some hospital with tubes coming out of every which orifice and, you know, people I don't know. No offense to medical workers. You're awful quiet. <laughs> tell, tell your neighbor, if the Lord tarries, the Lord tarries you are going to die. So you may as well deal with it now. Amen. Amen. Say, say this. This is a little more encouraging. To be absent from the body, from the body. <laughs> is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> but still, you don't have to die from something. I mean, Moses died, but he wasn't sick. Amen. There's, there's nowhere in the Bible it says you, you have to get sick to die. This, I can tell, man, this is just hitting you sideways. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to... I want to get as much information from the Word of God as I possibly can so I can walk in what belongs to me Amen. 
every day of my life. And then uh, when I'm done and the Lord's done and we're all done, well, then I'll, I'll go on over. Amen. Amen. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to uh, being taken out early. I don't subscribe to dying of something. Amen. And how about Deuteronomy 29.5? During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did your sandals, nor did the sandals on your feet. Now, the answer lies in, Israel, in Israel's covenant of healing with God. Let's go to Exodus 15.26. He said, if you listen carefully, well, that right there eliminates a lot of folk. If you listen carefully, <laughs> if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And that's where we find the word in the Hebrew, Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. And uh, the last couple of Sundays, we've been seeing how that it's God's nature to heal. And somebody might say, well, Pastor Gene, if it's God's nature to heal, and if God's people, even in the old covenant, have a covenant, as we have been looking at the last couple of Sundays in the, in, in the new covenant, we have a twofold redemption, the forgiveness of sin, sins and the healing of our body. Well, then, how do we have all this sickness? And unfortunately, the answer is uh, we open doors. We open doors. And to be fair to the whole situation, you know, I, I got everything healed. I'm down to one thing. But it's something that Satan uh, put on me when I was a child. And my father was unsaved. How could he have coached me on it? And my mother, she just assumed it was genetics. See, we accept the works of the devil. And what I'm teaching in this church is we don't have to. Because Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus made an open show and spectacle of Satan on Calvary's cross. One translation says Jesus put to naught every work of Satan on Jesus put to naught every work of Satan on Calvary's cross. Galatians 3.10 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So anything you you go to Deuteronomy 28, past verse 14 to the end of the chapter, anything you read there. And tumors are in there. Blindness is in there. Anything you read in there that is a curse of the law, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Now, I've got several things in me because of the annual Bible reading. And I feel like the church has been remiss, but I feel like I've been remiss. I just read the other day in the book of Acts, I think that was Monday, Peter said, repent and believe and the Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. We don't preach it that way. See, we preach, get saved. Now you come back next month and then we'll preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you come back then three months later and we'll teach on healing. This is rumbling around in my spirit, man. That if I could go back in time, I think I would have just given altar calls and said, you know, uh, you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And by the way, as long as you're doing that, why don't we just get the whole package and, get you, and, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God and receive healing from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. See, the problem is that we have treated these things as separate events. And, and, we, we, and I'm including me. We pat ourselves on the back. Well, I'm full gospel. You know, I preach the whole gospel. Yeah, but we divide it into pieces. 
And, when, and based on the message that we did last Sunday, and then based on what I read Peter's saying in the book of Acts, it's one package. And now how about this? You and your household, when, when, when the jailer was so alarmed when the angel of the Lord released Paul from prison, I think that was Philippi, Paul preached the gospel to the jailer. And when Paul preached the gospel to the jailer, he said, you and your household will be saved. And then we read that he got saved and he took Paul home and, and uh, fed him and his whole household was saved. Why don't we preach that? In other words, you give your life to Christ and you and your whole household will be saved and you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God and you'll be healed from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Because we break it into pieces. <laughs> tell, tell your neighbor, what Jesus did for us is not a remodeling project. It is a package deal. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I intend to walk in it. Amen. <laughs> I intend to walk in it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, he says, I am the Lord Jehovah Rapha, who heals you. Yeah, that's, that's awful rugged. You know, I'm, I'm courageous, but I don't know that I dare say that. Because, see, we go to other sources. But the Bible, God said... I am the Lord that healeth thee. Amen. Yeah, but I don't know if I can count on that, so I got to go do this. I don't know if I can count on that, so I got to go do that. Now, <laughs> we put our eternal souls in his hands based upon his written word but we're afraid to put our mortal bodies in his hands based upon his word. I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. What I'm saying is don't go to 15 and then go to God. What I'm saying is go to God first. See, we don't give God the opportunity. How are we going to know what God can do if we don't give God the opportunity? So I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. I'm saying go to God first. But the typical behavior of a Christian is, oh, I got something wrong. They go to a doctor. Well, I don't know what to do. You know, we need to send you a specialist. Go to a specialist. Well, we got to get a scan. Send you over here, get a scan. We do all this. And we, man, we, we dot every I. We cross every T. We do everything they tell us to do. And then they make all kinds of money. And when there's nothing left to cut off or cut out and they give up, well, then, then people come to God. Pastor, are you saying it's all about money? I'm saying there's money involved. But when it comes to God, do we listen carefully and do we obey every command? You know, I went a few months ago to a doctor's office for a, a physical just to satisfy a health, in, I mean, a life insurance company. And I'll tell you what, giving that two million bucks into the challenge offering was easier, in my opinion, than what I had to go through at that doctor's office. <laughs> Pastor, that's crazy. No, no. He's beautiful, he's wonderful. He loves us. He is the Lord, our healer. Amen. And we need to let him work. Amen. We need to give him the opportunity to work. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm, not, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. I'm saying go to God first. 
Go to God first. Amen. Go to God first. Amen. Amen. Now, in that same covenant, in Exodus 23, 25, it says, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. See, that, that, I'm not saying we should indiscriminately eat whatever because we know a lot of the food is poison. But we don't need to be afraid because we've got word on this right here. So you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Take it away. It's almost like I need to look it up in the Hebrew. Is that the same word in Isaiah 53? Is that that Levitical word? I have to look it up. He's going to carry it away. See, in other words, I'm here, but sickness and disease is carried away. So it may be out here somewhere, but what does it have to do with me? Amen. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. And in Deuteronomy 7, 15, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness. How much sickness? All. So how much sickness should we tolerate? How much? Isaiah 53, we dealt with the last two Sundays. How much pain should we tolerate? No. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. And in that covenant, God said to Israel, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. But it was all based on these conditions in Exodus 15, 26. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. If you... See, here's what everybody wants to do. It's like we dealt with this last Wednesday night. See, getting, getting anointed with oil will not fix not saving money. Getting anointed with oil will not fix not counting calories. Having hands laid on you will not fix not saving money. Having hands laid on you will not fix not counting calories. And so we want to we wanna just believe God. But if we would just think about some natural things in our lives, we would realize that just believing God is not going to get it done. Amen. And having hands laid on us is not going to get it done. And, and, and having somebody anoint us with oil, is we've got to take some action. God blesses the work of our hands. Amen. Amen. Say it out loud. God blesses, God blesses the, work the work of our hands. So he says, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. So I, I, I didn't uh, bring any notes on this, but for example, early in his ministry, I, I think if I remember right, it was in his hometown. Early in his ministry, it's in Luke chapter four. Jesus pointed out that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. But Elijah was not sent to any of them. And he pointed out that there were many lepers in Israel in Elisha's day. But Elisha wasn't sent to any of them. And they got so angry. You can go home and read it, Luke 4. They got so angry, they took him out to the bluff of a cliff and they were going to throw him off and kill him. But it says he walked through the midst of them. Now, why were they so angry? Because Jesus was pointing out that in Elijah's day, the daughters of the covenant, the daughters of Abraham, though they were widows, no prophet went to them and fed them. And in Elisha's day, there, there were no sons or daughters of Abraham that Elisha was sent to to heal them of leprosy. So they were angry at him for pointing that out. But wait a minute. Hold the phone. Stop. Think. They had a covenant. 
they didn't need Elijah or Elisha to lay hands on them or do anything because they had a covenant. And we don't see this. And so we think we got to have somebody anoint us, so we got to have somebody lay hands on us, we got to have a prayer chain, we got to do a Daniel fest, and we're ignoring what is right in front of us, and that is we have not only a covenant, we have a superior covenant, we have a superior high priest, and we have superior promises. Man, it made them spitting mad, I'll tell you, they wanted to kill them. So, those folks in that old covenant, they didn't need a prophet to heal them. They simply needed to believe the covenant that God had established with them. Now, we come over to the New Testament because it is true that a lot of that doesn't apply to that. A lot of that doesn't apply to us because that was a covenant done away with. I read this just the other day when Jesus gave up the spirit the curtain in the temple was torn asunder. That signified, and he said, it is finished. He wasn't just talking about the task at hand that he accomplished. He was talking about the old covenant. It was finished. We're in a different covenant. But what about our covenant? In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But the church has gone so far astray. The church has gotten so far off the rails. There is a famous, one of the most famous former word of faith ministers in America. And he reads that scripture in his church and he says, who can do that? I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot easier than whatever it was, 433 Levitical laws that they had to live under in the Old Covenant. Amen. I mean, if there's only two that I have to be concerned about, that beats what they were living under in the Old Covenant. Can I get an amen? Amen. See, all God ever really wanted from man, from Adam on, was for man to love God first and for man to love his fellow man. I mean, all the evil going on in our world today, it's a lack of love, people. I can't even talk about it. It's a heartbreak to me, what they're doing to children. And how about making money off what they're doing to children? Where's the love? And look what Jesus said in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And, of course, we, we get challenged on this because we, we, we come across people and they're just, you know, a handful. And, and I, I spend a lot, a lot of time in my life trying to figure out how to toe the line, how to walk through it. So what I've come to in my life is this, that... If somebody's, trying to, if somebody's trying to do something to me, I, I'm, I'm saying to myself, I don't even want to think about that. And I don't want my mouth on it. I've got a young man in the church and he's asking me about historical revivals. And he asked me about an evangelist. And he said, what about so-and-so? And I thought, well, he's a member here. I want to answer his question, but I don't want to get my mouth on something and be critical here. So the way I answered him, I said, well, you don't see him back at Faith Christian Center anymore, do you? 
Draw your own conclusion. But in my lifetime, I have come across plenty of mean people. I have. And I've come across some people that if they weren't crazy, they gave a real good imitation. <laughs> but I'm seeing something now in the ministry that I've never seen. And I've been in this 50 years. I've been preaching the gospel 50 years and I've never seen what I'm seeing now. And that is there is a kind of minister and they're mean. And if you don't do exactly what they think you what they think you ought to do and if you don't say exactly what they think you ought to say they they're vindictive and I don't see how you can square that with the teachings of Jesus and the Apostle Paul well Austin and I and Sue were talking the other day about how the body of Christ is a big place we flew out to another city to look at an auditorium and uh <laughs> just looking at the facility these people don't think like me you know they're not full gospel uh, they're not you know in the faith you know they're obviously not into some things that we're into at Faith Christian Center but when we stood there and talked to them and they showed us the building we walked around and we met some lay people that were there during the week and all that these were Christians without a doubt See, the body of Christ is a big place. And that's one reason we just need to discipline ourselves that even if somebody's not my cup of tea, I'm not going to talk about them. Can you see that? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go hang out. That doesn't mean I'm going to go. You know, there's somebody in the Metroplex been mad at me for 30 years. Actually, he's gone, his widow. But... It was because I would not go and be a part of their circus. And they were mad about it. it Matter to me if you're mad about it. I'm not, I, I don't do this. I don't do, I'm not, I'm not a trained elephant or lion or whatever, and I'm not going to go do your circus. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so, but I'm, I'm not telling you who I'm talking about. And I don't think about it. We don't talk about it. We have got to do a better job keeping our mind off people who are doing us wrong and not talking about people that are doing us wrong. It is a big deal. Tell your neighbor it's a big deal. Because he only gave us one command. And uh, I know people, man, they put you to the test on it. They do. I know they do. But we just have to do our best to walk in love. Now, when, when I first was uh, confronted with this thought, after we pioneered this church, it was hard for me to square because one of the biggest gaps in my training was nobody ever taught us or warned us. Nobody ever taught us or warned us about envy, jealousy. And, you know, we chugged along. We were doing okay in the hotel, uh, not much controversy. But when we moved into that little starter church up there at I-30 and Fielder Road, I mean, I, I, I would go home and I'd say to the Lord, I'd say to Sue, what is, where is all this trouble coming from? And it, it took months and months and months and months and months for me to even figure it out. I mean, we, we had a little four-bedroom nothing house, and we probably owed as much as it was worth. Maybe we owed more than it was worth. And whatever that church building was worth up there, we probably owed 90, 80, 90% of what it was worth. I mean, we didn't have anything that I thought we didn't have anything, but people were jealous. 
but it was a gap in our training. But see, this is where the annual Bible reading will do you a whole lot of good because I just came through the Gospels and especially in John's Gospel over and over and over and over and some more overs. John talks about how that when the Jews saw the crowds and when the Jews saw the miracles, they were jealous. And so, see, those were all opportunities to not walk in love. And, and my thinking back then, all those years ago, maybe 30, 35 years ago, was, man, you can forget about this walking in love stuff because i got to defend myself. These people are crazy. <laughs> but over time, thank God for growing. Amen. Thank God for growing. Over time, I've seen that I can not defend myself, give that to God, but then I can also limit my exposure. And, you know, over the years, I've found creative ways to do this. On my mom, uh, on her cell phone, I put a special ringtone. It was the, the Lost in Space uh, thing from the 70s. You know, danger, danger, danger. So, in other words, I didn't get caught because, you know, that was... Uh, you know, any conversation was stressful. But this a born-again person. Just caused me trouble. Caused me trouble. In fact, she caused me as much trouble. She's gone now. But, you know, she caused me as much trouble probably as everything else in my life could put together. Just trouble. But she was born again. So the only way, the only way I figured out how to handle it was to not retaliate and yet limit my exposure. Because I don't want to retaliate, and I sure enough don't want to be thinking about it. Amen? Amen. 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 And so, and then I've gone to Moses, and I've learned lessons. Moses went to God. He gave it to God. And this is not easy to do. But I'm working on it. And so, you know, I got somebody trying to hurt me right now. I, 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 I've gone to God from the very beginning. I said, I'm not going to lift a finger. I'm not going to defend myself. This is the most dangerous prayer I can pray. Right. I said, and I've been saying this consistently, I'm not going to defend myself. If you want me defended, you defend me. But if, if you don't defend me, I'm defenseless because I'm not going to do anything to defend myself and put it up, put it in his hands. This is dangerous. Because see, if we defend ourselves, he doesn't, he doesn't step in. But if we give it to him, brother, watch out. Amen. Walking in love. It's a challenge. See, if if it was just me and Sue on the planet, we'd still have to walk in love. Because we don't always see eye to eye. But then you throw in 9 billion others, and it is a challenge, brother. Are you hearing me? And then at least I work in a fabulous environment. No telling where you work. And how about just human resources and all of that? You know what I'm saying? It can be a challenge. Right? Right. <laughs> And it was harder for me because, man, in Detroit, man, I grew up fighting. I mean, my last fight was in junior high school. It was with a good friend. You know, we, we, would, we wouldn't think a thing of it, man. We'd go up, we'd beat each other up, and then the next day we were best friends. You know, we didn't think anything of it. But uh, no, no, no. Give it to the Lord. Yeah, but. See, that you know why we, yeah, but? Because we don't have faith that he'll take care of it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. It's been a pilgrimage for me. This is probably one of the hardest things of my life that I've had to walk through. And so I've done crazy things, man. I've sent people money. I've sent them clothes to heap I'm heaping blessing on them, but Jesus said, 
that you're heaping condemnation on them. In other words, they try and do mean stuff to me and I give them clothes, try and do mean stuff to me, I send them money. Amen. Because I, I want, he says, bless those who despitefully use you. Isn't that happy talk? Isn't that, isn't that just wonderful? Don't you all want to shout and dance and run a lap or two? Bless those who persecute you and revile you. So every time they come to my mind, which is not often, I just say, bless them, Lord, bless them. And I do pray that God would bless them. I pray that God would get their attention because they're headed for disaster. Not just because of what they're doing to me. You do understand. If somebody is sinning against you, they're probably sinning against 20, 30 people out here. You see that? It's not you. It's not personal. It's, it's them. It's them. And Paul said, you know, live at peace with all men. Well, we're, that's what we're trying to do, but they just are after everything. I'm so old. Say, how old are you, Pastor? How old are you? I'm so old. I remember you could go to Disneyland and not be accosted by weirdos. That's how old I am. So it's a challenge because you're just, you're just trying to do your thing, mind your own business, right? Be a blessing to your kids, be a blessing to your family. And we got all this onslaught all around us. And then, like I said, some of you are dealing with human resources. God bless you. And they just pick a fight where there's no fight. Am I right? Do I know what I'm talking about? They pick a fight where there's no fight. They despitefully use you. And a lot of it has to do with faith because they find out you believe the Bible. They find out you're a Christian. They find out you're one of those Jesus people. Now, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And if you think about it, love one another, it covers everything. If I, if I love you, I'm not going to covet what you got. If I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. If I love you, I'm not going to murder you. If I love you, I'm not going to covet your wife. If I love you, I'm not going to mess with your wife. Can you see that? He says, as I have loved you, how many of you know that's a tall order? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is that what we see in the body of Christ today? Or do we see this group, that group, this faction? It's like 1 Corinthians everywhere. Now notice this is not a New Testament suggestion. It is the commandment of the New Testament. The law of love is the commandment of the New Testament. Now, he's correcting me while I'm talking to you. There are two of the biggest full gospel ministries in the Metroplex. And in those two big full gospel ministries, this has been an emphasis all the way through. And... The fruit, decades later, is terrible. The fruit of those ministries. And when I say the fruit of those ministries, I'm not talking about money, and I'm not talking about attendance. I'm talking about where it really matters. David Oyedipo pastors either the first or second largest church in Nigeria, and I love what he says about the ministry. He teaches ministers, young, young ministers, he teaches them the number one job of the ministry is to get yourself and to get your family to heaven. And he says, if you can't do that, what good are you? And yet, and this was part of our problem back in the 80s, because we had these two, two large ministries, you know, walk in love, you know, walk in love, walk in love, and walk in love. But then I mean, something was just hitting me sideways about the presentation. Something was just hitting me as not being in tune. It was like a piano out of tune. And I, I couldn't put my hand on it. But now you fast forward 30 years and you see that the, the wreckage in the children. All right. 
So it's a misapplication of a truth. Now, I know it would probably surprise y'all, but I don't tell my children to do anything. Nothing. Nada. And I don't correct them. Because all that was done early. See, you have to train them when they're three, four, and five. And then when they hit 11, 12, 13, you have to start all over and retrain them. Because these are different phases of life. And you have got to do it in a biblical way. Now, see, the Bible says that if you, do, if you refuse to discipline your child, you hate your child. You hate them. Well, isn't hate the opposite of love? I said, isn't hate the opposite of love? So you see, it was this wrong-headed thing, and I, I couldn't identify it. Man, I couldn't put my hand on it. It was like, it was like I, I couldn't understand why. It was a discord, but it was... It wasn't in the commandment. It wasn't in the Bible. The discord was in the ministers and the way it was being presented. And so when ours were three, four, five, man, we trained them and we spanked them. And then they got to 11, 12, 13, man, we, we started all over and we, we trained them. And we, we have a good product. I got no trouble. And I'm here to testify that no trouble is a great way to live. Amen. I got no trouble. So somebody might say, well, you know, you, you must not have loved Austin because, you know, man, he got all those whippings. Look at the result. And then you got, you got children, you know, they never got a whipping. And look at the result. Charles Grandison Finney, the preacher of the great second great awakening, second great awakening in America, defined love this way. Love is to will and to act toward the highest good of the other. And so if I if I love my children, I'm going to will, but not just that, I'm going to act toward their highest good. Can you see that? <laughs> Walking in love. It's a challenge. Now, when we get to heaven, won't that be great? There'll be no devil. There'll be no devil's children. Right? I mean, that'll be great. But we're not there. So we have to deal, man. We got to cope. Amen. And I'll tell you something else too. You do yourself a great injustice when you feel like you've got to fix people. And in your endeavor to fix people, you listen to all of their regurgitations. And you have slop buckets for ears. As I'm getting older, I, I think rule number one is leave people alone. If they want to go to hell, that's up to them. If they want to take their children with them to hell, that's up to them. I'm doing my job. I'm teaching and preaching the word of God. See, I can't go over there and fix somebody. I cannot fix their faith. And I'll tell you one thing I know I can't do. I cannot make them love God. I cannot make them love the word of God. I cannot do it. So I can do my part. But when you try, and, you try and fix somebody, you try and fix somebody's faith, you open yourself up because you're listening to all of their complaints. I really intended to get to the end of this tonight. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So walking in love is a decision. Walking in love is an effort. Man, if you don't think it's an effort, you're not even trying. Walking in love is an effort. 
It takes, a dare, it takes daily spiritual work to walk in love. Now, I'm going to end here. If you'll study Mark 11, James 3, and James 5, and other passages, you will conclude that faith simply will not work where there is a spirit of unforgiveness. And this is huge. Now, you might say, well, he's teaching on walking in love, you know, because we ought to walk in love. No, I'm teaching on walking in love because I have come to the conclusion in my life, not your life, I've come to the conclusion in my life, this is the biggest hindrance to faith and prayer. Because, man, I can get up, I can pray, and I can, I can do that annual Bible reading, and I can tithe, and I can do all of that stuff. But if, if we, we see from the Word of God, Mark 11, James 3, James 5, that if I have a spirit of unforgiveness about me, faith will not work. And I don't know about you, but I cannot afford it. And so that's why we're on this and we'll pick up here in two Wednesdays. I don't mean to end on a Wednesday, you know, on a low note. But he said, I want you to love one another like I loved you. That's a tall order. And then he said, and all people will know you by your love. Is that what we see in the body of Christ? It's like 1 Corinthians. We got this group. We got that faction. We got this, you know, over here. And uh, where's the love? Where's the love? Now, that doesn't mean everybody's our cup of tea. I get it. I do. There was a time in the 90s on Tuesday. I'd do staff meeting. I'd get my work done. I'd drive out to DFW. I'd take, typically it was Austin. And I'd fly to L.A. And I'd, I'd get me a car. And we'd drive to Crenshaw Christian Center. And I would sit there to hear one of my daddies in person on a Tuesday night. And then when that was over, then I'd drive back to LAX, drop off the car, and they had a midnight flight back. They were just moving the plane. There weren't more than three or four people ever on that plane. But we live in a world where people won't even drive from Grand Prairie or Kennedale. And if you open your ears to it, they got a complaint. When I was around my fathers, they were imperfect. But all I cared about is what could I get out of them? Dad Hagen, John Osteen. I don't think John Osteen had any, had any, had any faults. He was great. He was a wonderful man. You know, Fred Price, I loved them all. But they're men. And Marilyn Hickey used to teach that whenever you hear a complaint, whenever you hear a criticism, there has to be an element of truth to it or the complaint or criticism wouldn't work. But you have to understand, these are men. Moses, he had a temper. <laughs> These are men. So, one thing we need to do better is to love ourselves. And by me loving those great men of faith and honoring them, and you don't hear anything about honor in 2023. I love myself. You know, people would, people would talk. You get on a plane on Tuesdays at least once a month, fly to L.A. to go to church, fly back, and, you know, first class. I don't go anywhere. I mean, for decades, I haven't gone anywhere it wasn't first class. And, and take, take a child with you because I can't travel alone. I just don't have ears for it. Don't have ears for it. I am not the complaint department. 
Don't have ears for it. See, I knew what I needed. You might say, well, that was extravagant. Do you think in 2023 those dollars matter? Talk to me. Do you think in 2023 those dollars matter? No, no, no. And we got a long, 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 long way on faith. And a lot of it I learned there. So when you have a slop bucket for ears because you think you're trying to fix somebody, you think you're trying to fix their faith, you think you're trying to help them, you don't love yourself. And you don't love your husband and you don't love your wife and you don't love your children. Because here's what happens. You give up your place. I've seen it over and over and a hundred more overs. You give up your place. It's amazing to me. How many people in Houston do you think wish they could hear John Osteen tonight? How many people in Los Angeles do you think wish they could hear Fred Price tonight? That's all gone. That was a window. That was a season. But I'll bet LA has got how many people that heard a complaint and they, they made a decision that messed them up, didn't mess Fred up, messed them up? And how many people in Houston, how could anybody find a problem with, with John Osteen? But somebody sent a bomb to Lakewood Church and it blew up in Lisa's lap. You go meet Joel. If you go to church there, you can meet him. He stands out there, he shakes hands. But as nice as he is, not as nice as his daddy. And I know he's not as nice as his mama. So how could somebody hate them, hate them, hate them that much? There's a lot of hate in this world out here. It's everywhere. It's not just in Israel. It's not just in Gaza. It's not just in the Middle East. It's not just in these uh, big cities. There's a lot of hate everywhere. And what I'm saying, what I'm pleading with you tonight is, <laughs> don't be a hater. Amen. Amen. Be a lover. Amen. Be a lover of God and be a lover of his people. Amen. And that doesn't mean you got to, you know, go on an overnight camp out with them. Dear Lord. But, you know, some people, you know, I remember I, I saw a missionary in a mall once, and he was about, you know, a 20th of a mile way down, way down in this mall. I said, God bless you, brother. He said, hey, Dr. Gene. I said, God bless you, brother. And then I scurried off into a <laughs> store. Amen. So some people just bless them from a distance. Amen. 